Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. We are brought to you, as always, by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, California, where they have had the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Today's guest is former Giants pitcher George Contos, who is with NBC Sports Bay Area. We're going to get into the Giants offseason and their acquisition of Carlos Correa. Here's a conversation that I had with George Contos on Monday. Well, George, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast again. Long time no talk. How's your uh, offseason going, and uh, are we going to see you back on NBC Sports Bay Area? Offseason's going really well. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe. And, and yes, uh, I will be back and uh, being talking everything Giants pre- and post-game and, and uh, hopefully a little bit more on my plate uh, this year, but I definitely will be back. Well, I know a lot of the Giants fans are following you on Twitter, and one of the tweets that you put out was that the Yankees pretty much played it perfectly when you're talking about the Aaron Judge situation because they had the, the lower offer, the Giants made a very competitive offer, and then it turns out the Yankees swoop in there at the end and get Judge. So what did you think about that whole uh, transaction? Well, the, the, I, I have two thoughts on it. I think that the John Heyman tweet really kind of put everybody on code red alert when he prematurely <laughs> tweeted out that uh, Judge and the Giants had an agreement, and I think that put all the other teams, especially the Yankees, just really in overdrive. But the way the Yankees handled that was, I think, really, really well done and smart in that they gave this low ball offer knowing that they were not going to be part of the um, driving up of his price. They knew that there were going to be multiple teams involved to try and win over his services for the next decade. And I think they made that little low ball offer knowing that the price was going to continue to be driven up, driven up. I mean, we saw the Padres make that $400 million offer. I think that the way that Farhan and the front office had approached the judge signing, they did a great job, but it was just the Yankees were going to have that last little opportunity to come in and match or beat um, what was what he was going to be able to get. So I think that they just handled it. I mean, it's game theory 101. You know, they just kind of came back in and matched it. From what I understand, that, that last phone call that they had right before he agreed, um, he was called and he spoke to um, spoke to the owners and they just basically asked, do you want to be a Yankee? And he said yes, and that was all it took. And the other $40 million came uh, just right there in that phone call. So it's a, it's a shame. I think that uh, the Giants fans would have really, really treated him spectacular. He would have been a guy who really fit in the city and the organization nicely, but I think him signing back with the Yankees, it's a great deal for him, and I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a nice C on his jersey accompanying him uh, when opening day rolls around this year. Yeah, I mean, it's still going to be cool to see him with the Yankees again and had such a great season last year. So for the Giants, they had to really have a plan B in place and pivot, and their fans, I think, were getting kind of anxious because they're seeing signings of you know Mitch Hanniger and Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling, and, th- and those are good signings, but I mean, they're hoping for the, the big deal, and then it's just eye-opening, George, to see that Carlos Correa gets 13 years and $350 million, but he was the second-best player on the market, so what was your initial reaction when you heard about the signing and the years and everything? I think to your point, Joe, you're exactly right in that there, there's this shiny object that I think the, the, the front office knew that it had to give the fans. Uh, the, the, the fans of the San Francisco Giants organization have had a superstar to root for for the last 30 years 
and longer. You know, you had Barry, you had Timmy, you had Buster, you had Bumgarn, you had all these guys that people showed up to see. They came to the ballpark and they, they put themselves in the seats to watch these guys. And I think that's what we were missing just a little bit last year. So I think they felt the pressure of having to go out there and make a splash. And there was no doubt that Aaron Judge was, was I think, uh, top target number one. But we got a, a, a great baseball player in Carlos Correa. He, he's a guy who's very, very well-rounded. He's got winning experience. He's a leader. He's coming in to play uh, one of the top positions on a baseball field that you could ask for. So I think um, th- they definitely had to overstretch themselves to guarantee that they got him and they won that battle. I think the contract, like you mentioned, 13 years, $342 million, that is a long time and a lot of cash. Uh, but they felt the need to do something, and there's no doubt that the Giants got a great player. You mentioned being a leader, and I wonder about that when you first get to town. I mean, you know, first get to spring training, you walk into that clubhouse, you know, you still have players that are veteran guys around, and you're, you're the leader, you're the new guy, but you're the leader. So how do you handle that as a new guy, you think? Well, I, I think that when, you, when you're a leaders, leaders don't just become leaders because they go to a new organization. Leaders are guys who just have that innate quality, and they lead by either example and their actions, or they lead by the way them hand, they handle themselves and the way they en- interact with their with their teammates and with the organization and and giving helping uh, helping hands and lending words of advice to to other players. So I think you know th- there's also that that thing with I've never met Carlos Correa. I've only fa- faced him sixty feet six inches away, but I've I've heard many many good things about him. Um, but and I and I think he'll he'll roll in and he'll do the things that he has has been doing, and I'm sure it'll be a pretty seamless transition for him putting on this uniform i'm sure the fans will uh welcome him with open arms um and and, you know again like i said they they did their diligence i'm sure they didn't just go and say oh we need to sign somebody they they had many conversations with him they thought he would fit very well in the community and in the clubhouse and with the current group of guys so i I think there was a lot of homework that went into it and he's a guy who i hope can come in and, and step up and uh change the direction of the organization a little bit do you think that the, the stain is worn off from his involvement in the cheating scandal? I mean, the years have gone by now. You know, people want to get past it. I mean, there are a couple of Giants players. You know, you got Jock Peterson, who was on the Dodgers in 2017. You got Sean Manaya, who has been critical of uh, all of those Astros players and, and the lack of uh, punishment, really. So do you feel like the stain is wore off? How, how do you handle that as a player who's in the clubhouse and this guy comes in? I don't think that stain ever wears off. I think that's something that happened. It is a it is a huge talking point in Major League Baseball when when that came out and and to the level that it came out with them ultimately you know winning a World Series down in Houston. Uh, but I think that you can put that all to rest and just put it behind you by the way that you act and the way that you interact with people. Um, there's no doubt that it will probably come up at some point. Uh, somebody might ask him something about it, and I think the way that he handles that question. Um, will be a huge telling, um, you know, sign of what kind of guy he is. But I'm sure he's had the questions. I'm sure he's had to answer them. And there's no doubt that he has um, really good answers to get by those questions. But I, I think ultimately how he comes in and, and he handles himself will will determine how quickly that kind of thought process that everyone might have a question about just dissipates and everyone can move on. The other part of it is you're coming in and you're replacing the best shortstop 
San Francisco has ever had in Brandon Crawford, a guy who's won four gold gloves. Now, you know, Crawford's still on the team. And by the way, he's the only remaining member of the, the championship teams. But he is the guy who, you know, he's a, he's a team first guy. And, you know, I read the story that Andrew Baggerly uh, put out there talking to Crawford. And, you know, he's, he's totally willing and, and not going to make any, any uh, waves about moving. Uh, so how does this affect everything with Brandon Crawford possibly moving to either third base or second base? Well, th- this is a tough one for me because I've, you know, I- I've watched that guy since the day I stepped into the clubhouse. Yeah. He was he's played behind me at shortstop for every year that I was uh, a pitcher on the team and, and part of our World Series teams and and um, you know all of the great moments that he's had and, and I think the the personality that Brandon Crawford has is, is you mentioned it. He's a team first guy. He's not a selfish guy in any capacity. Um, He's a guy who comes in every day into the ballpark, and he's just a hard-nosed baseball player. He's going to do what he's got to do to get himself ready to play that day, and, he's, and when he's out on the field, he's going to give it his all, and he's going to be a silent leader uh, like he always has been. He's a guy who commands a lot of respect because of the way that he handles himself on and off the field. Um, but it's definitely a tough pill to swallow for him. Uh, you know, I've chatted with him quite a bit throughout this whole um, – period of time since the Correa signing and, and just kind of checking in on him. I mean, this is the guy who's the career leader in games played at shortstop, the San Francisco Giants. You mentioned four gold gloves. I mean, the guy was uh, an MVP caliber type year just a couple years ago. And for him to kind of find out that he's got to switch positions this, this way after the career that he's had, I'm sure is just very, very difficult. And I'm obviously very biased because of, of my interactions with him, and, and he's a good buddy of mine. So it's, um, it's a very tough thing for him, but I can tell you that Brandon will, will handle it with class because that's just the kind of guy that he is. Oh, absolutely. And, and I want to talk about just the, you know, the technical part of moving to a different position. But first of all, I mean, I know this won't happen, but why not have a competition at shortstop? And I know, you know, eventually – Correa is going to take over the position. He's got the long contract. But why not just say, okay, whoever plays better in spring training, he's the starting shortstop. The other guy moves. And I understand the contract and all that, but I I have not really heard that as a possibility. What do you think? Well, I think that if you were going to go that route, you would have had to really sell that to Correa in in (laughs) your efforts to sign him. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that you you sign with the San Francisco Giants if you're Carlos Correa – with them being like, hey, man, there's a stipulation for this first year. We got this awesome guy that's been here forever, and you're going to have a competition. As much as I wish that were the case, I, I don't think that's kind of how you uh, escort in your your huge mega, mega deal uh, new signing in spring training and to start the season. But, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, these guys are both professionals, and Brandon Crawford is going to give it his best every single day, and there's no doubt that he can still play great defense and he just had a very, very good year just two years ago. You know, last year was a little bit up and down for him, but there's no doubt he can still play at a very high level. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, this all plays out. But what I can tell you is there, there definitely will not be any animosity amongst players. That's, that's one thing that I can guarantee you. When you step in that clubhouse, both of them, they're going to be doing whatever they can to help this team win this year, and that's all you can really ask for out of those two guys. You know, I have no doubt that Crawford is going to do well at the new position. It's interesting, you know, you think back of Cal Ripken when he moved to third, and he, he was great at third base, and Alex Rodriguez, he was a shortstop but moved to third for Derek Jeter. So third base 
seems to be logical. I mean, even second base, but it is a little different turning the double play. And it's not like Chris Taylor with the Dodgers where this guy was kind of born to play all these different positions. Crawford has been a shortstop his whole life. I'm not saying that he can't do it, but it seems like it's really going to be an interesting transition, don't you think? Yeah, this guy's a born shortstop. That's the only position he's ever played. It's the only position he's ever known. And we've all seen how good he's been at that position for a very long time. And there's no doubt that he could still go and man it uh, this upcoming year had they not signed Correa. Um, but I think that he's got a little bit of, uh, of work to do in learning whatever new position he'll be going to. But Brandon Crawford's awfully athletic. I mean, he's a big shortstop. You know, he's 6'2", six, 6'2 two, six, two whatever it is. He's a big guy, and he moved very well over there for a long time. And I mean big guy as compared to other shortstops. Um, he's super athletic, plays that are unbelievably difficult. He made look really easy, and the routine plays he made look even easier. So there's no doubt in my mind that he can easily move to a new position, but there's just movements and throws that he hasn't made ever that he's going to have to take a lot of time um, and, and get to know and get, get some kind of uh, feet footing under him to, to learn all of these uh, new movements and, and directions that his body is going to be moving towards. Yeah, it's going to be a very important spring training, I would think, you know, if you make that transition to second. But I was just thinking, George, about how there's not going to be a shift anymore. But because Crawford was in the shift quite a bit, I mean, he did play a lot, you know, up the middle or even to the right of second base. So it's not like it's brand new to be, you know, placed in a different spot at the beginning of a play. No, I, I would agree with you. I, and I think that if he, um, you know, whichever position that he goes to, the, the movements and Ultimately, you're chasing the ball, right? I mean, that's difficult for him are those instinctual things being the captain of the infield for his entire playing career. You know, when you go for a pop-up, when you are cutting through for a ground ball, your instinct as a shortstop is to take all those plays and to call people off to make those catches. And that, I think, is going to be a pretty integral part of, of just the dynamic is there's a new guy now who is going to be commanding the infield, and that's Carlos Correa. So those those balls that uh, Brandon Crawford would always just call off, there's going to be somebody else there in that movement that's going to have the authority, and I'm, I'm saying that with kind of air quotes right now as we're talking, um, but just some of those instinctual things that he's done so well for so long are just going to be a little different because it's not quite going to be the same when you're making a play involving a bunch of other guys in the infield. We'll have more with former Giants pitcher George Contos, who is now with NBC Sports Bay Area, right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. All right, I, I can't believe it took this long to get to pitching when I'm talking to George Contos here. But, yeah, let's talk about what happened losing Rodon, which, you know, that's not a shock because we knew he was going to try to get a big contract, and he does with the Yankees. But how about the rotation now is, you know, Manaya is added, Stripling is added to the equation, but you still have Logan Webb at the top 
of the rotation, and then other guys are just going to you know form uh, a good rotation after that. W- what are your thoughts about what's happened with it? Uh, you know, especially in losing Rodon. Well, I, there's obviously there's no replacing Carlos Rodon. Yeah, I, I, once once Jacob uh, Degrom signed, I think every, all eyes were obviously on on Rodon and where he was going to end up, and and everything that I saw from him, I would have loved to see him back in a Giants uniform. I think he really enjoyed pitching in San Francisco. I know his family really loved uh, being in the Bay Area and the San Francisco Giant family. Uh, but that, there's obviously a huge void that, that's left behind now. You kind of had those co-aces with Logan Webb and Rodon that, that when they went out, you were expecting a W two out of every five days when they towed the rubber. And, you know, when you look at kind of who came in to replace those guys, it's, it's definitely going to be a void in the rotation. Um, and we're starting to kind of see the little patterns here with, with how um, um, the front office has been going about getting these pitchers, these two-year deals with options to opt out after one. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Logan Webb, I think, is, is hopefully going to be their next priority number one to lock up for a long time because I, I really hope that he spends the majority, if not all, of his career in, in the black, orange, and cream. Um, but I think the rotation has to be a strength of the Giants because you don't succeed in that city, in that ballpark, without without good pitching and good defense, as we've seen for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Giants have been known for pitching for so long, for, you know, the starting pitching, and uh, even turning guys around. I mean, maybe they might have had a season that was semi-mediocre coming to San Francisco, but it seems like, you know, things seem to, to change around when they get to the Giants. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, I think that the, the, the culture and, and, and what you have in that clubhouse with the guys that you have, you know, pitching in San Francisco obviously is a little bit uh, more conducive to the ball staying in the ballpark um, as opposed to some other ballparks, just not even um, in, in the NL West, obviously, right? You have Arizona, you have Colorado, you have some of these other ballparks in the uh, NL Central where the ball flies out of. And that's, that's one of the things that in San Francisco you get, you get away with a little bit is it that heavier air that we know keeps the ball in the ballpark, uh, at least it used to, a, uh, a lot more um, than you'd see in other ballparks. Um, but, you know, we, we seem to have uh, the guys who are developing the pitching now, these, these, these new people in the organization have done a really good job with helping guys really understand what their strengths are um, on the mound. And, you know, we saw it with Kevin Gaussman, and then he went and signed a huge deal. We saw it with Carlos Rodon, and he went and signed a huge deal. We brought in a couple other guys now who obviously have some really high upside, so hopefully they can right the ship and um, help the Giants get back to the postseason. The bullpen definitely is a work in progress. In fact, I, I texted you and said, hey, you want to make a comeback? And, uh, you, I, I don't know what your reaction was to that, but uh, you know, really it's, it's Camilo Duvall that everybody's excited about because he's definitely back, and the way he pitched the last couple of months as the closer, I, I think that gives you a lot of hope. Uh, that he's going to do well. We know that he throws really hard. It was more about him trying to control his stuff. I mean, heck, the guy threw over 100 miles an hour, I think 104 miles an hour a couple of times. Uh, but what do you think about the progress he made? Oh, I think from, from when we first saw him come up to the big leagues and make his debut to what we saw by the end of last year, he's made tremendous strides. Um, and, and I think with him, the biggest thing that will determine his success, obviously he's a mentally tough guy. He stepped into that ninth inning as a young kid with electric stuff, but he really needs to trust that fastball. When you throw 104 miles an hour and you're sitting, you know, 97, 98 on other days, 101, 102, 
you need to be able to locate that fastball. And, you know, he's got a great weapon in that slider as well, as we've seen. That's the wipeout pitch. He's got a ton of confidence in it. But you need to set up that good slider with that fastball. And not many guys just sit there and throw triple digits every single day they come into a ball game. And he's one of those special freak talents that can do that. Um, so I would, I would really love to see him just establish that fastball command and be able to locate it to all four uh, quadrants and up for effect, just to throw one up, kind of move some eyes, move some, uh, uh, some sights to get that uh, slider down in the way to be even more effective. But you definitely have some guys coming back, obviously. you got Camilo, you got Brebia, uh, Tyler Rogers, Scott Alexander. I would imagine Junis will be a swingman in the, uh, in the long roll probably uh, next year with all of this, the starting pitching that's been signed and acquired. Uh, but I would love to see maybe another piece or two added to that bullpen to solidify that seventh, eighth, and ninth inning even a little bit more. Yeah, that's what I was wondering just overall as a team, not just the bullpen, but do you want to see the Giants go out and get you know one more player? Uh, they they made some moves. You know, I mentioned Hanniger is going to upgrade the lineup. They brought back Peterson and the power. Hopefully they get the Peterson that uh, was before the All-Star break because he was really hitting a lot more home runs. But do you want to see them maybe make one more upgrade? Everybody talked about center field. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, look, you got Yass who can play center field. We've seen him play. He's a great defender. Um, I, I really think that you need to fortify the bullpen a little bit more. And, and there are some guys on the market that, that I think would fit really, really well with the Giants. Just to name a couple, I think it'd be very cool to see Tyler Rogers' brother, Taylor Roger, come in with a, as a power lefty um, to kind of fortify that, that eighth, ninth inning role with Camilo Doval. And there's a couple of right-handers that I really like that I've seen play and, and even played with over the years. One is Chad Green, uh, who's formerly a Yankee. Yeah. And, you know, I watched him. He's got those 94 and 97-mile-an-hour cutters with a good breaking ball. He's pitched in big pressure situations and had a lot of success. And I also like Adam Adovino. You know, he's getting a little bit older now, but the way that he pitches, he's got that wipeout slider, and he's still 94-96 range with a ton of experience at the back end of ball game. So those are just a couple to name a few that I think would fit in really well um, at the, at the kind of back end of the Giants bullpen. All right. We'll see what they do. All right. So as far as the, these rule changes, I mentioned the defensive shifts are going to be limited. Now uh, you've also got a pitch timer. I'm curious what you think that's going to do as, as far as what pitchers think about with a pitch timer and the bigger bases, which I don't know. I don't know that really if that's going to make base stealers, run more often uh we'll see about that but you know limiting throws over to first base that changes things a lot too uh for pitchers because you can only what is it you can only throw over there twice uh and th- that really is going to lead to a lot more stolen bases i would think oh 100 i don't think the bigger bases is going to do anything i mean no. that's kind of for me it's a little bit of a spectacle you know whatever uh you're, you're making it what an inch bigger all the way around yeah. What that's going to do, but I definitely think that the the pitch clock and the um, kind of limiting the throwovers is going to definitely have a huge effect on stolen bases. Uh, I, m- I remember as soon as the rule change was announced, I was listening to Kotze give an interview about it, who had just spoken to Rick, Ricky Henderson, and he kind of did the Ricky voice when he was at when he was going over what was said, and I guess Ricky said if Ricky was playing today, I, Ricky's still a hundred base. <laughs> and, and the third person, and I believe yeah. it. You know, yeah. guys, the stolen the the stolen base, the art of the stolen base is kind of a little bit of a lost art, just because of the long ball now, and and what the focus is. Uh, the generation of runs has been home runs lately, and not kind of the get a guy in a scoring position and hit a double in the gap or just drive him in. 
So I think the approach has been a little bit different. And the reason for all of this on top of speeding games up was to try and generate a little bit more excitement in the game. So I definitely think it'll be um, much more conducive to steal bases with this type of uh, limiting the throwovers and pitch clock this year. Yeah, I mean, as a pitcher, I mean, you know, George, you're out there and, and, you know, the whole idea of that, hey, I may throw over to first base is what gets in the head of the base dealer. If you're limiting it and saying, and that's what it is, it's two, you can you can make two per at bat. <laughs> Once you get to that second one, then it's just a free for all. I mean, the guy's going to get the greatest jump ever. Well, you know, the thing about it, I, I admittedly was never that great at holding uh, the baseball and holding runners. I got up there and, you know, with the adrenaline going, I would have to really force myself to slow down and hold the ball. Yeah. And as a pitcher, especially as a relief pitcher, when you're coming out, which uh, coming into the game with traffic on base all the time, Dave Rigetti would always tell me, he'd be like, George, every once in a while, just sit there and hold the ball. Just hold it. You're not going to throw a pitch. You're not going to do anything. You're going to sit there until the hitter steps out to upset the runner's timing because Runners are antsy as well. They want to go. They're trying to time everything. The more you hold the ball, the more antsy they get. So they get either too far on their front, on their toes, on their front feet, or they can get a little flat-footed. But all you need is that little bit of timing to upset them to give your catcher a chance to throw the guy out. Yeah. Well, that's no longer in play anymore because you can't just hold the ball because if you run past your time, it's a ball. Um, so it's definitely really going to change the dynamic, and I think guys are going to have to get the ball, get on the mound, and really understand and have a thought of what they're doing with guys on first base. Yeah, it's 15 seconds if you have the bases empty, and it's 20 seconds if you have runners on base. And, you know, I, for you, because you were saying, I mean, you're more of a fast worker, uh, even with nobody on base, that might not be a problem. But for some pitchers, I mean, they really need to have that extra time, slow themselves down. I mean, that's not going to be the case anymore. No, yeah, it's not. With nobody on base, I always thought I was a very fast worker. And, and even with guys on base, I'd get the ball back, I'd get right back on the mound, and I wanted to just keep in my rhythm. Um, but I, I think that even for myself, playing, playing this upcoming year, it would definitely be something that I'd have to get used to and have to really understand. I would probably sit, sit here if I was still playing it in my place here and just kind of time, time myself to see how long 20 seconds takes, how long 15 seconds takes, so you could really understand – what time, what type of time you have to execute your pitches. Because the most important thing for a pitcher, as, as important as holding runners on and, and throwing over and all that, is executing the pitch to the guy at the plate. That's obviously the most important part. And these are all little kind of external factors that are going to affect the, the focus that you're going to have on executing those pitches. Yeah, I mean, I think I was scoffing at it at first, but when you think about it in the minors that they did knock off about 25 minutes of game time, that, that is pretty good. I mean, the pace of Major League Baseball is slow. It, it just seems a lot slower than it used to be. So it seems like a move that, you know, is important. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's that important. I think that the game was just fine. I mean, three hours and three minutes was the average pace of play last year. Yeah, that's not um, that bad, are, right? Yeah. That's not that bad. No, it's not bad at all. It's, I think right, right around that is what the game has been for, for a very long time. And, you know, you implemented the, uh, the, the uh, replay review and the challenges and all those things that also are making the game longer. Yes, that's so you're, true. You're adding all these other things and you're taking away stuff that's actually going to have an effect, in my opinion, on outcomes of games because of the ability to execute pitches that, the, that certain pitchers 
might feel rushed. They might feel out of rhythm, and that's just going to affect pitch quality. Well said. Yeah, I, I, I could lean that way. I just I, I, Sometimes the game's the pace of the game, but maybe it's not so much about the pitcher. Like you said, I mean, you got replay and everything else. Uh, you got starters that don't really go more than five innings, so you got a lot of pitching changes. Those take a lot of time. Yeah, no, they do. Uh, they, the game, you know, the game has kind of just evolved a little bit, uh, a little bit different than kind of how it was even in the middle of my career when, when you know, starters were expected to go six, seven innings. And I remember reading some stuff. Roy Holiday uh, said that he, and this was a little bit uh, over a decade ago, but you know, he came out with an article in the New York Post that said a, a starter shouldn't be eligible for a win unless you go seven innings. And that was just their mentality was pitching deep in the games. You know, I just watched. The Nolan Ryan uh, uh, documentary on Netflix, and, and the, his mentality was, "Don't come out here and get me. I'm finishing this game every fifth day." And the the, the game had just has just evolved now, and uh, guys just aren't going as deep into games because of the analytics of, of I think facing a lineup for the third time, and that's kind of um, for the people who focus very much on analytics. That's something that's kind of a, a red flag for them. That was a great documentary, no doubt. Thanks so much, George. I really appreciate the time. Happy holidays to you and your family, and uh, look forward to seeing you again when it gets closer to baseball season. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.